the Lord. If you have your Bible, now I'm going to start my sermon, okay? So you can start the recording now. But anyway, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Leviticus chapter 19. We're going to just read two verses this morning. As you know, whenever there's only two verses, something like, oh, it's going to be a short sermon. But usually the trend is it becomes a long sermon. So pray that I will read long passages, then it'll be a shorter sermon. But anyway, we're going to look at two verses today. And as you have heard, we are continuing in our series called Create Space. And I want to talk about creating space for community, why this is so important. Leviticus chapter 19, starting from verse 33 to 34. Uh, if you could also turn to your ch- uh, church app, and that's where all the notes would be, so you could kind of follow along. I wanted to start off, as we talk about creating space for community, I wanted to start off and ask this question. I remember, I'm wondering if you remember, uh, the first time that you actually stepped into our community, our church, or life group for some of us. That was our first entry point. And I'm wondering, what did you experience? I want you to think about that because I'm guessing by all of you still being here, you had a pretty good experience that you actually came back. And then you came back the week after that and kept on coming. And now it's been some months, maybe some years, and you're rooted into our community. But I think if we're honest, all of us in this room will have to confess that coming out to a new community is not the easiest thing. Because there are a lot of things that go through our minds and in our hearts, especially just trying to get to know new people. As we think about some of the fears that we have, I know some of you struggle a lot with social anxiety. You're very introverted. And just turning to your neighbor and say something, you're like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Please don't let him do that. But just think about this for a moment. It's it's, it's not an easy thing as we enter into a new community. And you also have to think about these questions. Do I fit in? Will these people accept me? Can I be who I am with all my flaws and all my weaknesses and all my messiness? And will they love me? Can I be a part of this group of people? Do they genuinely care? But the reality is there are many people who will never step inside the four walls of the church. Because they've been hurt by the church and they have been hurt by people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. They've been stumbled by the things that we say and we do. It doesn't match up to the message that they hear about this Jesus. I want to show you this quick video that was made by a church that kind of played out some scenarios or I guess phrases of what people will say why they don't want to come out to church or be a part of community. And it's amazing because each one of these people who then responds in a very short one sentence or maybe a couple phrases, they are people who've actually experienced the power of community. And as you watch this, I want to challenge us to think, have I ever asked those questions? Do I have friends and people that I know that ask these types of questions when it comes to church, community, or even just Christianity? So let's watch this together, shall we? Really? Something about British accent that makes everyone just smarter. <laughs> Can I ask you, if if you saw this and you were hurt by the church or totally turned away, maybe you just drifted away because of just sin or other things in your life, or as you're thinking about your friends, your family members, as I shared earlier, like, I don't know how you feel as you're, how you felt as you were watching this, but All I can say is that it's something inside of me gained a little bit more hope. That, yeah, that's not what church is about. Yeah, like, I know I've experienced all that and people emphasize all this, but that's not really what it's all about. I think in order for anyone to come to a new community and feel the sense of belonging, acceptance, or whatever it may be, I really believe it requires people in that church to have these values and a vision that promotes the love of God and love for people. 
I think many of us will confess here that none of this comes automatically. It has to be something that is taught, modeled, experienced, reinforced constantly over and over again. And I think the reason why is that we are just self-centered by nature. This is our plight. This is the problem that I see is that we're so self-centered, we're so selfish that we make everything about us that is difficult to pause and to look outside of ourselves. And that natural pull to want to be self-centered, to make it all about us, we don't even have to try. It just comes. So that's why I think for many of us in this room, it, it is easy to get into this complacent mode. We stay in our comfort zones because now we're fully integrated into this community. We know people. People know us. Some of us are even serving in the church. But you know what the sad fact is? That the longer that you have been with our church, the, and the more you're involved with it, the more you forget what it feels like to be here for the very first time. But if there's ever a time we need to welcome people into our community, it is now. With everything that's going on in the city and in this world. And that's why we are continuing in this create space. And I want to talk about creating space for community. Last week we talked about creating space for growth. And I talked about how we have to prepare to receive God's blessings. And not only preparing, but we also have to hold on to the promises of His blessings that He will give unto us. So as we talk about creating space for community, there's two things that I want to highlight for us in these two verses. The first thing is this, that we must, we have to receive our neighbor. Can everyone say that? We must receive our neighbor. Let me explain a little bit about this because this is a very important point that we'll see in the book of Leviticus. Before we read these two verses from Leviticus 19, we need to establish and understand a few things about God giving the law to the Israelite people. And this will help us to understand why he, why did he give it and why are these laws that we're going to be reading, why is it so important? The first thing that I want us to understand is this. I want, to I want us to understand the purpose of the law. Like why? Why was the law given? This is why you have to remember that the Israelites were given the law so that they can fulfill the calling to love God, to love people, and to be able to be a light to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, so they could reach the nations. That's why the law was given, to teach them, to show them how to love God, how to love people around us, and so that they can fulfill their calling of being a light to the nations. And this purpose that God gave to these Israelite people had to be constantly taught and reminded over and over again to the Israelites that God telling the Israelite people, I'm in a relationship with you. And so these things are so that you can obey, so that we can continue in this relationship. And that you can also love your neighbors and people around you and do the things that I've called you to do so that you can be a witness to the world. That's why I've chosen you. Out of all the nations, out of all the people in the world, I chose one person and out of him, he's a father of many nations and he blessed with, with descendants. There's a reason for it. There's a purpose for it. And I'm giving you these laws so you understand my heart. Therefore, throughout chapter 19, as we will read these two verses, we see that the specific laws were given as an expansion of the Ten Commandments. This is very important for you to understand the purpose. If you remember, the Ten Commandments were given by Moses, from God to Moses, to the Israelite people on Mount Sinai. And then if you look at the book of Leviticus, and especially here in chapter 19, as we'll be looking at these verses, you will notice that it's just an expansion or elaboration of the Ten Commandments that are the foundation. And so once again, even in the Ten Commandments, the foundation was to love Him. That's why if you look at the first five commandments of the Ten Commandments, it's all about the vertical relationship. 
And then if you look at the 6 through 10, it's all about the horizontal relationship of with people. So it's imperative for us to understand that God's commands or his laws in the Bible are not there to make us miserable, are not there to make us kind of like, oh, I, we messed up again and discourage us, but rather they're there to present us and help us to love God and to love people. So that's the purpose of the law. The second thing I want to quickly mention is this, the practice of the law. As we look at this chapter, one of the key themes in the book of Leviticus is found in verse 2. And the phrase is, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. What this simply means is that God wanted the people to live in holiness so that other nations can see God's holiness. By us being holy and living a life that is set apart and different from the world, that's how people are going to see the holiness of God, who God is. And the special call that God gave to the Israelite people. It's by practicing and observing the laws, people are going to notice that you're different from everyone else. But once again, sadly, the Israelites thought that holiness was just all about doing rituals. They thought it was about doing the right thing so that they could be pure before God and God will not punish them. You know, I, I found that so interesting that so many of us, that's how we see reading the Bible, trying to obey God. It's all about just doing our duty. Like when was the last time you actually did your Bible reading and you realized, I'm doing this because God wants to show me how much he loves me. And I want to get to know God so I can love him more. So you forget the why. And so what do you do? You do it and then you get very pharisaic. You get very self-righteous. You think you're better than everyone else in that WhatsApp group because all the guys haven't responded, but you have every single time at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Who does that benefit? No one. Just your pride. Or you're the guy or you're that girl never responds. And you're like, oh my God, I'm such a loser. Oh, I'm worthless. Oh, I'm so bad. I'm such a bad Christian. Because you make everything about what you do. That's a human paradigm. And time and time again, the people failed to see that God was more concerned with their hearts and their purity, how that's lived out, rather than just looking really pure and holy. That's why the practice of the law, obeying God in His Word, will transform your everyday life in such a way that you will live differently. I think this is why it is imperative for us to understand that obedience to God's law must bring forth a change in our hearts and in our lives. So now, with these two things in mind, I want to talk about how we must receive our neighbor because we're going to look at one of the laws that was given in the book of Leviticus. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 33 through 34b. Bravo. Listen to what it says. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. Leviticus 19, verse 33. And then I'm going to read the first two parts of verse 34. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. Let's just pause here as I try to highlight the importance of how we must receive our neighbor. In verse 33, we see that God gives this command about treating strangers who sojourn or who journey or who live within the land that God gave to the Israelite people. Let me read to you verse 33 in these other translations. And the NLT says this, Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in the land. The NIV says this, when an alien lives with you, and we're not talking about like aliens from another planet, but aliens as being someone who's different from you. So when an alien lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. I want you to notice the word stranger because it has the translation of a foreigner or as you see in the NIV, an alien, someone who is different. So if you think about it, these strong words like stranger, foreigner, alien, it describes a person who is considered an outsider, who's not part of the in-group 
but an outsider. And it is so easy for those who are in the insider group to treat those in the outside group in a way that is negative and hostile. I mean, just look around you. Think about the issue of bullying, bullying even in schools. Like some of you, you just, you just came out of high school. So remember, like all the cliques. And if you're not in the cool group and you're like in this other group, it's just so distinct. And it's easy to kind of look down on them and think that you're better. I mean, that's what I think is going on even here in Hong Kong. One group think that they're better or they're right than the other group. And none of them are making concessions. And so if you think through this, you realize it's all about the insider and the outsider. The stranger, the foreigner, the alien. And as I was thinking about this, I realized not just those of you who are in school, but think about those of you at work. There's bullying even in work. Your co-workers, or it might be you. And it's easy to say, oh, this is the in-group. We have the insider information, and you're just a newbie, or you're just kind of not really accepted in this group because you can't speak Cantonese or whatever else, and you try so hard, you try to learn the language. You feel it, that inside, outside, kind of that feeling, whether some of you are in the inside group or some of you are in the outside group. But I think all of us can confess we've been on both at different stages of our lives. I really believe one of the most courageous things is to be able to be different. Because it's easy to be like everyone else. And I think many of us, we try to be courageous, but we just follow the crowd. And that's why I've been challenging some of these young people, like, why are you doing that? Why, why are you protesting? You know. You know what it's about? Kind of, but yeah, the China is bad. And I'm like, okay, go, go study. Like, we just get swept up in all the emotions, but you're not actually understanding and seeing things clearly. So that's why I think one of the most courageous and brave thing to do is to be able to stand and be different and really stand on what you believe in. That's why I have total respect for it doesn't matter what side you are, but if you're willing to die for something that you believe in, that's much respect there. I think one of the most difficult things is when you're part of a sports team, and you go into enemy territory, and then you stand, and you root for your team when everyone else is rooting for the home team. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I, I want to show you uh, just uh, several pictures. The, the first one I'm going to show you just in a little while is between the University of Michigan, where some of you are some finding out about the school, how they raise up fanatical, radical people, um, at the University of Michigan and their rival school that they hate them so much, it's called a, now it's supposed to be the, or yeah, the, Ohio State University, because they're trying to trademark the word the. And you're like, duh. <laughs> like, who's going to trademark the? My God, they're, they're, they're that proud. And the rivalry, it is so strong that I'm telling you right now that at Ohio State, in Columbus, Ohio, in the United States, they cross out all the M's in anything in, the, in that city. Like signs, whatever, they cross out the M. So like merge, you'll be like urge. You know, it, it, they cross anything with the M. The rivalry is so strong. It's that bad. And so I found this picture, and I'm thinking, what a brave man. Look at this picture. I'm like, what a brave man. That he is willing to stand and be different. Because he's on the outsider in this place. While all these guys in red are on the inside. Look at it. Look at it. Look, just. I mean, <laughs> he's the man. He even has to look. I'm like, that's much respect right there. Right in the enemy's territory. And then, there's another school. You could tell Michigan just has a lot of haters. Because they're that good. So, there's another school in the same state. That's up north a little bit. Uh, they're cousins. But anyway, um, they're called Michigan State, and they're just green and white. But Michigan is blue and maize, 
And so there's a rivalry there. And just to think that you're willing to go into enemy's territory and face all the hostility. So let me show you this next picture. I'm like, wow, this man is brave. He comes with the yellow, the May shirt, stands in a sea of green. And say, you guys are all wearing green because you're jealous. Because you can't be me. You know, and here he is. And then I want to show you this next picture. And I look at this guy and he just has this look at his face. <laughs> By the way, I think Michigan won that game, so... So that's why he's smiling. We're going to still kill you. <laughs> you know? We're going to still beat you. <laughs> why am I sharing these stories? Not only does it take guts to stand out, but when you're not in the inside group, you understand that it, it, it's not easy. So in order to feel like you belong, you, you just need someone else that you can identify with. Just one. That's all you need. Just one. And Max Lucado, in his book, When God Whispers Your Name, he writes about having a shared moment with another fan. Because those of you who might not know Max Lucado, he's from San Antonio in Texas. And so he's a San Antonio Spurs fan, which is a basketball team, the NBA. And then he had a speaking engagement in Boston. And he decided to go to the famous stadium of the Boston Celtics. It's historic. So he wanted to go there because his team, the San Antonio Spurs, uh, were playing. And so I want you to listen to what he writes. And it's a really interesting uh, story. Let me first start off by reading a portion of it. And then I'll, I'll have you read it along with me. But let me first read it to you. He, he says this in his book. As I took my seat, it occurred to me that I might be the only Spurs fan in the crowd. I'd be wise to be quiet, but that was too hard to do. I contained myself for a few moments, but that's all. By the end of the first quarter, I was letting out a solo war hoops every time the Spurs would score. People were beginning to turn around and look. Risky stuff. That's when I noticed I had a friend across the aisle. He too applauded the Spurs. When I clapped, he clapped. I had a partner. We supported each other. I felt much better. At the end of the quarter, I gave him a thumbs up. He gave it back. He was only a teenager. No matter, because he's a middle-aged man, but here's a teenager. He says, no matter. We're united by a higher bond of fellowship. <laughs> now, I want to read to you as he continues in the story. I want to read to you what he draws some conclusions from this experience as as an illustration. He writes this. That's one reason for the church. All week you cheer for the visiting team. You applaud the success of the one the world opposes. You stand when everyone sits and sit when everyone stands. At some point you need support. You need to be with folks who cheer when you do. You need that the Bible calls fellowship, what the Bible calls fellowship, and you need it every week. After all, you can only go so long before you think about joining the crowd. I thought this was interesting because once you become the inside, it is so hard to stand as an outsider. But the strange thing is that once you then do come into the inside, you forget about what it felt like to be on the outside. There is something powerful of being able to connect with others and realize that you have something in common. This is when you no longer feel like an outsider, but rather you are being part of something that's greater than yourself. But why did God give this command of treating the foreigner as if they were a native, a local, And I want to explain so that you can understand why we must receive our neighbor. The reason is that it helps us, it helps us to know the heart of God and the compassion he has for people. There were other times when God expressed his heart and made it very clear to treat people who are the outsiders with love and justice. So once again, I'm going to be reading a bunch of verses. 
I want you to read along with me in the highlighted yellow. Will you do that? Just that part. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 9 alpha, it says this in the ESV. You shall not oppress the sojourner. So this command of not oppressing those people who are foreigners or aliens or those who are not the insiders. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18 through 19a, in the New Living Translation, it says this. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners. That this is God's heart. That he loves those who are on the outside. The people, our neighbors around us. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 17a in the ESV says this. You shall not pervert the justice due to the soldier. So God is concerned about those who are on the outside who are not receiving justice. This is the heart of God. And that's why, as I shared before, whenever there's injustice, we have to speak out as a church because it is in the Bible. And then in Psalm 146, in verse 9a, in the New Living Translation, it says this, Will you read it? The Lord protects the foreigners among them. So not only does he help seek justice and that he loves and provides things for those who are on the outside, but it says here that he protects the foreigners. God's heart for the outsiders is to show love, justice, and protection. And since the Israelite people considered themselves as God's chosen people, it was so easy for them to think that they were better than others. Oh, God chose us. We're, we're in the inside. But he says, no, not only am I for you and I will continue to have this covenant with you, but I'm also for those who are on the outside who have yet to experience my blessings, who yet to experience my compassion, who have yet to experience my love. I am for them as well, to protect them, to show justice to them, and to show them my compassion and love. As soon as you think about this idea of you being better than somebody else, then you start treating people less than you. And this sets up the perfect condition for racism, mistreatment, and hostile actions. Always, like us versus them. And that's why I've said violence begets violence all the time. You will not win through violence. I mean, so many people over their history, over the years have shown that. There will always be wars. You will always for tick for tat. That's why they were saying that even the situation in the Middle East, it goes all the way back to the time of Abraham and Ishmael. And they've been fighting back and forth because no one's willing to love. And that's where Christianity clearly comes in and says, hey, we have the same Old Testament history, but Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of this prophecy of the Messiah. He comes in and it's a way of love. That's why Jesus said, if I came here to start a revolution, if I wanted to bring like a earthly revolution, then I could have done it, but I'm not. It's, it's a heavenly one. This is the reason why so many global issues around the world really reflect people's heart of not receiving and loving their neighbor. Look at the first picture here. Those of you who, who might be familiar with the news a couple years back, the Rohingya people from Myanmar, as they were trying to flee some of the fighting that was going on there, they were trying to get into like places like Thailand and going to Bangladesh and some of these other places, and they were just totally... So they were stuck, and many of them were dying of starvation. Many were, they were just being literally ethically cleaned... Uh, uh, ethnically, they were trying to cleanse them out because they were just the lowest class. They, they were people that were not treated with respect and made in the image of God. The next picture, some of you know, uh, this is the whole Syrian refugee situation where people started fleeing and they're, once again, they're stuck. They have nowhere else to go. The next picture that you'll see here is many people who are trying to find asylum. And I was thinking how big this boat might have been. And look how packed it is. 
And some of you know some of these famous pictures that came out of so many people drowning and dying of trying to escape and trying to go into the, uh, Europe so they could find freedom and seek asylum in the situation. And the last picture some of you might be familiar with, with what's happening even here in this side of the world, on the west side, in Xinjiang, as you know, the Uyghur people, as many of them are brought into educational camps. You, you think about, just even in the last couple of years of all the stuff that's happening, you realize it's about those people who are on the outside. That those who are on the inside, they just don't want to deal with them. They don't want to do anything for them. That's why there's so much injustice. That's why there's so many things. But here we see in Scripture time and time again, that is not God's heart. God's heart is always for those who are on the outside. It's not just for those who are on the inside who are saved and who knows Jesus Christ, but He's always concerned about those who have yet to experience the love of Jesus Christ and the grace of our Lord Jesus. This is why in verse 34b, God appeals to a simple principle of how humans just love themselves. It's not a hard concept to understand because we all know how to love ourselves and do things for ourselves. In fact, this is our nature. We're always focused on ourselves. To love people as you love yourself. Which then, if I could take it in the inverse, listen to me carefully. Those of you who struggle with loving people is because you don't love yourself. Think about that for a moment. Jesus says to love people the way you love yourself. And when you have a hard time loving people, it's because you don't love yourself. Not in a self-centered way loving, but loving yourself in the, through the eyes of God, who He created you to be, to be a child of God, that you're deeply loved, even though you have sinned and fallen short of His glory. That's why every single time you and I, we sin, we hate ourselves, don't we? And that's where Satan loves to play this in our minds over and over again. You're not good. You messed up. No one will love you. And some of you start believing in that. And that's why you come out to life group, you to church, and you have this attitude like you're going to kill somebody. Instead of humbling yourself and say, I screwed up last night. I sinned this morning. I need help. Can you pray for me? I want to confess this to you. We're scared of doing that. So we try to hide it in and try to do all this stuff, but we have all this attitude and we have all this stuff going on inside of our minds and in our hearts. It's because right now in your heart, you just don't like yourself and what's going on there. And that is projected with how you treat people. That's why those who are secure in God's love, they are some of the most loving people. And they're not afraid. They're usually courageous people. This is why when the lawyer asked Jesus which are the great commandments of the law that he should respond, which is the greater out of all of them, this is the response of Jesus. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40, he says this, and read it in the yellow with me. It says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law, and the prophets. To love God and to love people as yourself. Even the Apostle Paul reiterates this importance of loving your neighbor. In Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 10, in the New Living Translation, listen to what it says. Owe nothing to anyone except your own, your, for your obligation to love one another. Come on. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirement of God's law. So here's God in Leviticus saying, don't mistreat or do wrong or take advantage of those who are the outsiders, the foreigners, the aliens, the sojourners. Why? Because God's heart is always for the outsiders. That's why He has chosen you. 
And not only that, but he says, because you ought to love people the way you love yourself. It's a simple principle. In fact, it is the greatest commandment to love God and to love people. But if all of us can be honest, we will have to confess loving people and receiving our neighbors and those that we regularly don't want to see. It's one of the hardest things to do. In many ways, I think it's tiring. It's going to be a lot of risk, risk of getting hurt, risk of being misunderstood. Henry Nowen, in his book, Can You Drink the Cup, wrote this. Every time we make the decision to love someone, we open ourselves to great suffering. Because those we love most can cause us not only great joy, but also great pain. I think this is one of the reasons why some of us, we don't want to love anymore. Because some of you have experienced great pain. A broken heart. Maybe expectations that have not been met. Disappointments. And after a while, you start building this wall around your heart and it gets thicker and higher. And people just look at you like something's wrong with this person because you've been hurt. Some of you, your relationship with your fathers. Daddy issues, yes. Some of you, issues with your mom, your tiger moms, yes. And you keep on building up these walls. And God is constantly trying to expose you to help you to realize this wound has to be addressed or it's going to start infesting all these diseases and different things will come out. It's going to be pussy and it's not going to be good. And here's God in his loving way trying to address it, bringing certain people your way, bringing certain circumstances your way, bringing certain kind of things that maybe you wanted but it's not happening so that he can expose this in your heart. That's how much he loves you. Because he doesn't want it to be diseased and you lose that part of your heart. And that's why God is working on you. If you would just listen and see what it is and hear what it is that he's trying to say to you. That's why some of you in the situation you're in, it says he wants, he's, he's tired for you in that sense that he doesn't want you to keep on going in this direction. That's his grace. That's his mercy upon your life. He didn't have to. He could have let you die on your own, but he's constantly pursuing you because he loves you and he wants this to be addressed because if you don't address it and you get married, it's going to rock you. It's going to destroy you. And if you don't address this even now in your marriage, then it's going to affect you longer term. So here we see once again the reason why it's so hard to even reach out to our neighbors because There's a great risk. How about us this morning? Of course, some people that are hard to love. But maybe God is challenging you this morning. You have to receive them. And that neighbor might be just as close as in your home, your workplace, your boss, your co-worker, your roommate. I'm wondering if some of us have forgotten what it feels like to be an outsider. We must receive our neighbors. Let me close with the second point. First, I talked about how we must receive our neighbor. Now, as we close out in this last part of verse 34, we have to remember that we have to remember our narrative, our story. We must never forget the power of our story. We have to believe, and I don't know how else to say this, but this is something that you just need faith for, but you have to believe that everything that has happened in your life up to this point, God somehow will, can, and will use it for our good and for His glory. Everything. Did you lose a, a, did you lose a loved one to a tragedy? He's going to use it somehow for our good and for His glory. Do some of you come from certain kind of family background that it literally, 
just totally set you back. And even to this day, you feel the effects of it every single time you go back home. You have to believe that God's going to somehow use it for the good and for his glory. Were some of you raped, sexually molested? I mean, these things happen even inside the church, and we have to be open about it and to be able to say, like, these things are very painful things. And a lot of times it's difficult to believe and have any level of faith that somehow God can use this for the good and for his glory. It's just hard to believe that. Just think about your life as I think about my own life, all the things that we have experienced up to this point. Think about your story, your narrative. God being the author. Do you believe that somehow the story, not yet finished, but God is still writing? And sometimes the only hope that I have is, man, there were so many things in my life when I look back that I thought it was like horrendous or like I don't know what's going to happen. But somehow now in retrospect, I look back and say, God, thank you. Some of us don't have the ability at this moment to because it is very fresh. We don't see any good out of it. And we haven't lived life long enough to look back and realize, wow, it shaped me, it molded me. It helped me to depend on God more. It helped me to surrender that God that was in my life that I worship. It helped me to love people, helped me to empathize. Some of us who have never gone through anything difficult in your life, a lot of times you act very self-righteously and wonder, why do people act like that? Until you go through the very same thing and you realize, now I know why people go through that because I've gone through it. So it gives you more compassion. It gives you more love. Some of you grew up in the church who love judging other people, thinking that I will never do that. Wait until you do it. Then you will realize, wow, that person might have gone through a lot of stuff that I didn't even know. And then sending maybe just a little note, say, hey, man, I've been praying for you. I just thought that even as you were struggling with that, like some years back, forgive me because I just wasn't compassionate. I, I just didn't really understand. When I think about my narrative, my story, my background, everything that I experienced when I was younger, even some of the stuff I'm going through now, the only thing that helps me is to believe that someday there's going to be somebody that's going to go through the same thing and that I could be able to relate with them. Like every single time I hear, because my parents are not divorced. And so when I was growing up, I just never understood a lot of these guys who come from divorced homes. But then there are people in our church who have, or they come out of divorced homes, and by the grace of God, they experience just the forgiveness and the joy. And guess who are the best candidates to minister to some of these people? It's these guys who have the same background, but they experience the love of God. That's powerful. You don't even need the degrees that I have. You, ha Your degree is your life. Physically abused, mentally abused, emotionally abused. There are people like that that are coming to our church that are in your workplaces, that are in your neighborhoods. And I, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. Some of you are still wrestling through with it. Some of you have setbacks and relapses. But as you keep on trusting in the grace of God and the love of God, somehow you have to believe, God, somehow you're going to work out all things for my good and for your glory. And that's why it's interesting when he says this. In verse 34, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Another reason that God gives for the importance of treating an outsider as your own is because we know exactly what that feels like. That's why he says, because you were once slaves or you were once foreigners in Egypt. That was your story. That was this narrative that was happening in your life. You know what that feels like.
Once again, Henry Nguyen, listen to what he says in the book Wounded Healer. He says this, For a compassionate man, nothing human is alien. No joy, no sorrow, no way of living, and no way of dying. This compassion is authority because it does not tolerate the pressures of the in-group, but breaks through the boundaries between languages and countries, rich and poor, educated and illiterate. This compassion pulls people away from the fearful clique into the large world where they can see every human face is the face of a neighbor. Thus the authority of compassion is the possibility of man to forgive his brother because forgiveness is only real for him who has discovered the weakness of his friends and the sins of his enemies in his own heart. Wow, when I read that, I'm like, that last phrase. The reason why you could be compassionate is because everything that you see in other people that you hate, you see it in yourself. But if you cannot see it in yourself, the wickedness and the sin in your own life, you cannot be compassionate. And as I was reading this, I'm thinking, how does this come alive even in my own narrative, in my own story, even in our church's story? And I realize a lot of it has to do with reflection and to think about where would your life be if it wasn't for Jesus? What hope would you have? What purpose would you have? What friends would you have? You'll probably be alone in your dorm room or just going to work and in your apartment. You have, you have nothing. You have no community. Where would you be? All the weaknesses that you see in your friends, all the sins that you see in your enemy and those people you are contemptuous towards. The only way you can have compassion is not only when the Holy Spirit fills you with God's love, but also when you're able to see those things that you hate even in your own heart. That's when you realize, I am sinful too. I'm just as bad, but by the grace of God. That's why a couple things about remembering our narrative. First of all, the compassion of God. The Israelite people were constantly challenged to remember God's uh, compassion on them. That he was loving, that he was patient, that he was committed to them no matter what they have done. That's why he kept on saying, I am the Lord your God who delivered your forefathers. He keeps on making them remember of his compassion, his love, his patience. Even when they worshipped other gods, God showed compassion. That's why the New Living Translation writes it in this way. He says, in this verse 34, he says, Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. Now, this is important. I want you to focus on the word once. This indicates that it was something in the past and it was part of the narrative. You were once foreigners or slaves or aliens or sojourners or outsiders. You were once. That something that happened in your life, in the past. And as I was thinking about this, I realized, wow, this is so powerful because this is exactly what we see all throughout Scripture. In many ways, this is our narrative because we have experienced God's compassion and it was by grace that we were saved. Listen to what it says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 3 through 5 in the ESV. It says this, Among whom we all once lived. This, as soon as I'm, I'm like, I just made that, I'm like, wow, this once, this is how we used to be. We experienced it. This is part of our story. But that was in the past. And here's Paul saying the same thing. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we have been dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is our story. This is our narrative. This is why we're able to create space for community. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. I'm going to read it from the NIV. Read along with me on the yellow. It says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets 
with Christ Jesus as his chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What a great idea. This, this concept of how we were once like this, but now because of his grace, we're no longer foreigners and aliens, but he's bringing us together in him. Now we can be built together. That we can, as we remember all of our narrative, that story, that we were all messed up, we were all lost, but now God is bringing us together to build this house of the Lord, which is the church for the glory of God. So those who are on the outside, as we are in the inside, because we've been chosen by God, predestined for knowledge of God, that He saved us, but now we can go outside and say, hey, we welcome you. We want to create space for you because of what Christ has done for me. That's why even in Romans chapter 15, verse 5 through 7 in the ESV says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I mean, think about this. Not only do we have to receive our neighbor, but as we remember our narrative, our story, this is us. We were once aliens and strangers. But Christ Jesus, by His grace, He saved us. Now from the outside, we are now in the inside. We have been chosen by God. But now we want to be able to look around and say, He's building us up. So now with one voice that we can glorify God to declare, as Christ has welcomed me, He welcomes you. Not only the compassion of God, but we, but when we remember our narrative, we have to think about the commitment to God. That's why the last part of verse 34, we notice the phrase, I am the Lord your God. This phrase, or derivative of this phrase, where it says, I am the Lord, you will see that in this chapter alone, it's repeated close to 16 times. It is a reminder. This is what's important. I want you to catch this. It's a reminder that the commands of the laws, the laws that were given, we're very closely related and tied to our worship and our commitment to God. So what that means is this. You don't just do this so that you can feel like, oh, I'm good. But when you obey and love God to receive the neighbor, to love those who are on the outside, to welcome them in, it is a worship and it's a commitment to God. God, this is your heart and I'm committed to you. And therefore, whatever you love, whatever you care about, I want to care about too. How about us this morning? I'm wondering, have you forgotten your narrative, your story? Where would you be right now without Christ? By remembering, I'm wondering if it's causing you to love people and even worship God for what he has done for you. Lord, thank you for loving a person like me again and again. And that's why I think this is simply the gospel. That you and I were, all of us, we're foreigners and aliens. We were outsiders, outside of the blessings of God. But because God so loved us, He sent His one and only Son to come and live the perfect life that you and I could not live. And so now as we trust in Him for what He has done for us by dying on the cross, that should have been our cross. That should have been our penalty that we should have paid for our sins. But God's wrath was placed on him. We're the ones who sinned against God. Jesus didn't do anything, but he took our place. Because he knew that we were the outsider and he wanted us to welcome us in to the family of God. So in that sense, God created space even in his own heart to say one more person. He left those 99, he looked out for that one person to bring them. And he brought us into community. Not so that we could just hold hands and enjoy our fellowship, but we're on a mission. There's a purpose. We want to reach out to others. And that's why the one thing, once again, as a clear reminder, as we talked about how we have, we have to receive our neighbor. And remember our narrative. 
It's simply that when we love each other with humility, we can experience true community. It's this humility of knowing that we were received by God when we were outsiders. Knowing that we didn't deserve it. When you understand that, that's when you're able to build up this community and experience this true community that He wants us to. And for those who have yet to be a part of our church, that they will be able to experience it. So what are some of the next steps for us? Quickly here, first of all, fight for building community. It's going to take a fight. you got to be committed to it. Every single time you don't want to do it, you got to fight your heart and say, God, I, this is my calling. Every single time there's an extra grace required person, the, the EGR, they're like, oh my God. you got to fight your heart. Lord, they are way on the outside. They're not even, they're like in Pluto somewhere. God, help me to love them the way you reached out to me. Fight for building community. That also means com- be committed to life group. Be committed to experiencing things here together. Fight for it. Secondly is foster transculturalism and diverse friendships. As you know, transculturalism is going outside of your circle to be uncomfortable, to go through the discomfort so that you can love people from a diverse background. Now, it's so difficult in Asia, to have people from other groups. I mean, yeah, like, someone, no, I do have diversity. They're from Malaysia, and they're from Taiwan, and, but they're all Asians. That's why every single time I'm, I'm, I'm in the city or just out, and I see and, uh, anyone with darker skin, I'm, I'm, I, I get excited. I'm like, what's up? And then they're from Africa. So, you know, I'm like, this is exciting. When we see people of lighter hue, lighter color, like, they get red when the sun comes out. The white folks. It's great. Not just from the States, but from different parts of Europe and different parts of the world. And this is the reason why we exist. We want to be an international church. Church for the nations. So for me, I'm always looking for people who are different from me. I'm trying to talk to people who are different from me. Just think about this one. When you go to work tomorrow, there are probably people around you who are different from you. Some of you who are expats, I understand. It's so hard to break into that local culture. You know what I'm talking about? They're like talking in Cantonese, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden you step in and they're like, oh, oh, and they try to speak English. And then today, you know, they start talking and then all of a sudden they go back to Cantonese, right? Then you're like, you know what I'm talking about. If you're that person, hang in there. Just smile. Until their awareness hits them in the face. If you're that local, to be transcultural, of course it's easy to speak Cantonese. Natural. There's certain words that are nuanced that no, no English translation can hit that mark. It's like that itch. No one can itch, but when you hit, speak Cantonese, like, ah. <laughs> ah. You know that feeling. It's the same way with me. That there, there, there are people, what I mean, they're Korean. I'm just like, ah. Because there are certain words you just cannot translate into English. But that's part of being uncomfortable and saying, here's a person who's different. Then They don't understand Cantonese, so I am going to try to speak English. Even though it's easier to speak Cantonese, I'm going to speak English. See, that's what I'm talking about. It's just learning not only how to fight for it, but just really... Forming in our hearts of fostering this transculturalism and diverse friendships. Do that today even, during lunch. Find somebody who looks different from you. Their hair is orange. And sit next to them, you know? Third, and lastly. (laughs) You're going to be a popular man today anyway. (laughs) Third, and lastly. Find somebody to share your story. And let me explain why this is important. The more you share your story, the more you remember your narrative that God is good, that He is working all things for the good. Share your weaknesses. Share how God intervenes. Show how God has met you. Share these stories over and over again. Find somebody to share with in your workplace, wherever it may be. 
I want to close with this quick video. Actually, it was a commercial that was made by Samsung. And one of the things that they realized that many other companies are realizing is that there's a whole world of people who are disabled and especially those who are hearing impaired. And they have such a hard time as they're just kind of going around in the city and just trying to live their life. There are so many things that are not favorable for them. So like ordering, through drive through there's so many other instances where it's just difficult for those who are hearing impaired. And so what they decided to do was to pull a prank, but not those bad ones, but this was a good one, a good prank. And I want you to watch this and see what happens and how it moves someone who felt like an outsider or now feel like they are in the inside because people understand the power. You don't have to be hearing impaired to be able to relate to that story. Because I think all of us at one time or another, we felt like we were an outsider. But God in his grace brought us in. And for us to be complacent and just be comfortable with what we have. Like, I'm going to go as far as to say, I think some of us are sinning. Because if God has called us to go and make disciples of all nations and we're just keeping it to ourselves, then we're hoarding the very blessings that he has given to us. He wants us to share it. We might not be hearing impaired, but we are heart impaired. Our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are selfish. We like people who are like us. Because when people are different from us, it's uncomfortable. They're, it's risky. But that's the kind of church we want to be. Always on the edge to do whatever God has called us to do. No matter how risky or challenging or what amount of faith. Because we know that God is behind it. If this is the heart of God, we want to do it. I want to challenge some of us who might have never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And you're still on the outside. I mean, you're coming out to the meetings, but your heart is on the outside. Your future destiny is on the outside. We want you to come in by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Some of you who are already saved. We are on the inside. Let's not just be safe and secure. God never promised us a safe and secure life. He did promise us that it's going to be a life of faith, life of trusting in Him, abiding in Him, and so that we can experience great things, great things that He has stored for us, not only individually, but as a church. And so let's take those steps of faith and let's create an environment, let's create the space not only for the growth that we're going to see this coming year, but let's create the space of experiencing genuine community. I know life groups have paused and we're going to start it up in about the next two, two, three weeks. But you can still meet up with people. Hey, we haven't seen each other for a couple of weeks now. Let's, let's grab some coffee. Let's, let's have a meal. I was so blessed this week because I had some appointments with some of the working people in our church. And they were all in the island, so I trucked my way from the boondocks, new territories, and went into the island where there's life, and this is where real things happen. And in my heart, before each of those two meetings, I decided I'm gonna I'm gonna buy them dinner or lunch. I want to bless them. And then as soon as I got there, I'm like, hey, you know, I wanted to bless you, and. They're like, no, Pastor. And, you know, I don't want to get to a fight. I'm just like, okay, uh, I pray and then you pay. So uh, these two guys, as part of our city ministry, they ended up paying for my lunch. And as I was just thinking about that, I go, man, you guys have blessed me, so I'm now going to bless somebody else. I realized part of building community is not just fixated in that apartment or in that classroom, wherever you guys meet. But it's usually outside in the world where you're working, where you're going to school, wherever it is. It's being right there in ground zero where there's a battle goes on every single week, every single day. It's a battle for souls. It's a battle for lives. 
and you're there to encourage, to speak the truth, to share the gospel with your life. And then when you meet up with people from Life Group or just other people, you get encouraged. You realize we're on the same team. We clap, thumbs up, we're on the same team. That you could go back into enemy's territory and stand firm. I pray that we'll be that kind of church as we create space for community. This coming year, let's see great things happen. Even just even our life groups multiply as more people are being reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We just pray with me. Father, I thank you for just your grace over our lives. We seriously do not deserve anything. But it's just by your grace and grace alone that we're able to experience the things that we experience. And thank you for making people like us who are on the outside now in the inside in the covenant of grace. We were destined for hell, but you changed our direction. Now we can spend the rest of eternity with you. So we thank you for that. I pray that we will have a heart of love to love people that might be difficult to love, but you're calling us to love. And help us to welcome them in as we receive the neighbor and as we remember our narrative. May we in humility build this true community that you want us to in our church for your glory. Can I ask us just for 30 seconds, just make a commitment to God, how you're going to create space. Maybe you're going to have lunch or buy someone coffee who's different from you. Maybe there's somebody that you've just kind of lost touch with and you want to reach out to them this week. Just even send a text message to say, hey, I just thought about you. I'm praying for you. Let's just create that space in our own lives. And so God can work and use that. So can we just do that as we think about some of the next steps? Let's say, God, this is what I want to do. Starting today and even a Monday morning, which is always hard, but Monday morning, I want to live it out for your glory. Come on, let's just do that for 30 seconds. Sir.